Eagles Entertainment. The journey of the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duff. We've got a really fun show for you today because not only are we going to go through the grapevine, we'll do our normal thing. We've got Todd McShay's mock draft. We've got Josh Norris's top 50 that was just released. So we'll take a look at those. But we're going to look a little bit around the NFC East today. We're going to look at Washington. We're going to look at New York. We're going to look at Dallas. And we're going to see what are their tendencies on draft weekend. We'll look over the last few years. We'll look at their needs. We'll look exactly how we think they could attack the draft at the end of the month. So I'm really, really excited for that conversation with Chris McPherson, Ben Fennell. We've got pick six once again, where this week we're going to do a little bit of something different. I don't think we've ever done this category uh, on pick six. Six players who could ultimately be surprise picks somewhere in round one, but who ultimately make a lot of sense. So we'll try and find some pairings here of players with teams that aren't necessarily being talked about. And then we've got your questions at the end of the show in our draft mailbag. All that being said, let's get things going here. It's time for Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, guys. Well, before we get started here, uh, C-Mac, Ben, how's life so far? Uh, what are we, day 19 now uh, of being held, uh, held at home? I've lost count at this point, to be honest. It seems like it's going to be at least uh, through the month of April. You just take it day by day. I was I tell the wife and the kids, you know, on days where it's nice outside, you can get outside, get a little fresh air. That certainly helps a lot. But thankfully, everyone in our family is healthy. Hope everyone out there listening is healthy. Uh, and a special thank you to all the people who are still working, especially the doctors, nurses, grocery workers, uh, who are just keeping on, including my mom, who's works at Overlook Hospital up in uh, Summit, New Jersey as a nurse. So uh, I hear the stories and how real it is every single day from her pretty much. And uh, it's really, really important that everyone just stay inside, stay as safe as possible uh, so that we can get through this together. Yeah, no, no question. You know, having family that uh, work in that realm as well. It's, uh, you definitely hear about how dangerous it is. So everybody, please stay at home. Ben, we do have sunshine today. Yeah, I see that out there and I got some yard work. So the first week was a little tribal. I was a little animalistic. You know, I was staying up all hours of the night, sleeping in. There was no structure. This week's different. You know, we're getting up at a good hour. We're showering. We're putting on pants. We're starting our day. We're making to-do lists, staying productive, kind of figuring this is going to be my structure for a couple more weeks here. So trying to, you know, be an adult about it and uh, stay productive and not a slob and walk around in sweatpants and wake up at noon. But, you know, those days are good too. Our son let us sleep in until 6.45 this morning. So that was a plan. <laughs> uh, no, we're, we're, we're making it work. We're making it work. I should have a nephew coming in a couple of days here. So I'm hoping that will kind of change the schedule and uh, the excitement about being home. Yeah. Oh. Uh, that will be awesome. Well, congratulations uh, to you guys, uh, to your family as well, uh, on that momentous occasion. Let's uh, let's get things going here, guys. Our first item here, through the grapevine, uh, Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl, told the New York Post he believes Jordan Love, and he talked about this on Twitter a little bit as well, has the highest ceiling of any quarterback in this draft. And I pose the question to you, do you guys agree or disagree? Ben, I want to start with you on this one. Well, you know, it's always interesting to have this the ceiling floor conversations because a lot of times you have to evaluate the production or maybe lack thereof from a certain player. And I think Jordan Love just left a little bit to be desired because he didn't have the weapons around him, because he had tons of drops every week, because he's a strong-arm athlete that played at Utah State. You think that there's a little bit more room to grow and that he could become something more than he is right now. So. It's kind of like the way swimmers almost sandbag the season. So at, at championships, you can improve your time because at championships, you always want to come in with the lowest time. So I think because Jordan Love maybe didn't produce like Joe Burrow did or Justin Herbert, that just leaves him a little bit more room to grow in the NFL as opposed to doing that on Saturdays in college. So I think with his tools, his 6'4 body, his strong arm, his mobility, all that in combination – you could really see the tools and the traits to be a successful quarterback on Sundays that maybe you didn't see in the win column at Utah State. Ben, great points there. And going back to something that Jim Nagy actually said on Twitter about Jordan Love is that he said that Love will throw into bigger windows in the NFL than he did in college, which it's incredible to even think that that's a possibility. 
the big thing with Love that I'm a big fan of his is from seeing him at the Senior Bowl is that he's willing to throw with anticipation. That's something that you need to see from young quarterbacks making the transition to the NFL. But when it comes to the ceiling discussion, I wonder if he were coming off the 32-touchdown, six-interception campaign of 2018 versus his performance in 2019, would it be a completely different story? Because to Ben's point, once again, you would have seen that potential and it would be fresh in your mind. It would be more of that recency bias case as what we're seeing with the other quarterbacks in this class. Well, that's why, C-Mac, I'm glad you brought that up because, to me, like I go back to where I watched him in the summer. Ben, I remember being on the show, and, and we were discussing Jordan Love and me saying, I think he's got higher upside than Justin Herbert. I think he's got higher upside than Tua Tagovailoa. Like To me, I completely agree with Jim in that Jordan Love does have the highest ceiling, does have the highest upside. I mean, we were from an arm talent standpoint, we're talking about like Patrick Mahomes. He's built very similarly in terms of the way that he was able to control the football and not just, oh, man, look at his arm, look how far he can throw it, look how hard he can throw it, but his accuracy and his ball placement, his touch to all three levels. Like he had complete control of everything that he was doing last year. I agree. I, I think that Jordan Love does that have the highest ceiling. I'm very, very interested to see where he ends up at the end of this month. So it's certainly going to be a very interesting case study moving forward because, C-Mac, you mentioned uh, what we saw in 2018 a little bit different than what we saw in 2019 with Jordan Love. All right, let's get into the next part. This was kind of the thing that I was really, really excited about for this episode, and that's I'm calling it right now scouting the scouts. So we're just going to kind of look around at the, the division rivals for the Eagles, the, the Washington Redskins, the New York Giants, and the Dallas Cowboys. We'll start down in the nation's capital in Washington. You got a new coaching staff, obviously, with Ron Rivera, who's been around you know for a long, long time. But Kyle Smith uh, was promoted to VP of Player Personnel. Bruce Allen is out now. The reports were that Kyle Smith has actually run the draft down there in Washington for the last two seasons, so 2019 and 2018. So uh, we don't know how exactly how true that is. We know obviously that you know Daniel Snyder was very involved with the selection of Dwayne Haskins and things like that, but. Ultimately, I think you look at Kyle Smith, who's been there for the, you know for a long time, has come up through that system. Uh, he's the son of A.J. Smith, the longtime uh, general manager out for the San Diego Chargers. Some of the trends that I picked up, just kind of looking back over the last two years, number one, they certainly draft for need more often than not through the course of the entire draft. Last year, they seemed to place a lot of importance on guys that were very productive players from start to finish. So whether they were just productive in one year, like Haskins was for Ohio State, or whether they were very productive over the course of a multiple span of years, guys like Montez Sweat, uh, you know, I think that you look at the way that they drafted, they certainly seemed to place importance on guys that were very productive. They were very honed in on drafting players from the Power Five, uh, not a lot of small school guys over the last couple of years. They seem to be targeting especially Alabama and Ohio State players, you know, not just through the draft, but through free agency, through trades, through waiver wire pickups. Uh, they've collected a lot of talent from those two schools over the last couple of seasons. And then the coaching staff's going to have a voice. Ron Rivera, he had a voice down in Carolina. Jay Gruden had a voice last year in Washington, especially on day three of the draft. Dan Snyder will always have a voice as well. But I think the coaching staff will obviously be very involved with their player selection. So to me, I think what we'll do for these exercises, I'll kind of go through the, each team and say, okay, these are the trends we're seeing. And then we'll go to C-Mac and C-Mac, what are the needs that you see? And you're kind of looking at that roster, the way that that team is built. How do you view this Redskins team going into the NFL draft from a need standpoint? All right. So I'll start with Washington then. So for needs, I'm going to start with offensive tackle. Okay. So I'm going to go into this. Let me preface this. I'm going into this saying that they're going to be good with Dwayne Haskins and Kyle Allen at quarterback. Okay. Cause that's a big, big discussion point because that completely will change the complexion of the draft. If at number two, Washington says, we're going to take whichever quarterback doesn't go number one at that spot. So going into it with that, with that mindset, I think offensive tackle is number one. Trent Williams is technically still on the roster, but that relationship seems to be fractured beyond the point of repair. Even with Rivera coming in, Morgan Moses is getting up there in age. They have Cornelius Lucas as a stopgap at left tackle. Jerron Christian, a former draft pick, is unproven. So if you're going to go with a second-year player in Dwayne Haskins, you want to give him the most protection possible. Linebacker I have is number two. They're transitioning to a 4-3 after being in a 3-4. I think pretty much since 2009, if I'm correct, they, they brought in the ageless one. Thomas Davis is at second level. Sean Dion Hamilton, I think, is a good player, but I think there are going to be some issues covering the middle of the field. 
and they need another playmaker. I'm going to look at tight end first here. Jordan Reed and Vernon Davis are gone, but they need someone to go with Tarek McLaurin, who had an outstanding rookie season. So top three needs I'm looking at for Washington, offensive tackle help, linebacker, tight end. Now the next step of this exercise now, now that we know uh, some of the trends that we've seen and we've gone through what their needs are, I mentioned that this is a team that drafts particularly for need. Uh, ben, I kind of tasked you with picking some players that kind of make sense. And I think we're all kind of penciling in Chase Young. Seems like he kind of fits a lot of what we're talking about. Yeah, and I think it's going to be an interesting conversation to see if they really need to address that position. I know they could get a blue chip player like a Chase Young, but we just addressed that with Montez Sweat after reinforcing the defensive line the, pre the past previous drafts. Going through C-Max needs right now, I wonder if they can get out of that coveted number two spot to maybe in Miami or somebody looking for that quarterback of the future to maybe stockpile a corner and a tackle of the future, uh, you know, to move past the Trent Williams era, to get out of the Josh Norman era at corner there. So I'm just wondering if you could get out of two and you could still walk away with a Jeffrey Akuda and maybe a Josh Jones in the 20 to 30 range of the draft. So I think it's going to be really interesting how the new uh, kind of front office mix there with Ron Rivera and obviously the young guy, Kyle Smith, to see how their philosophical approach goes moving forward to say, hey, you know what? We have too many needs to address than going after a position we've already addressed. And I think the positions they need, corner, tackle, linebacker, some receiver help, some ex uh, exciting players out of the backfield to go with, Darius Geis, and we'll see what Bryce Love can provide after being kind yep. of injured down the stretch of Stanford. So I'm just wondering if you could get more value out of that number two spot, kind of like the Cleveland Browns did a couple years ago, got out of two, stockpiled a bunch of picks in the first round, and let the Philadelphia Eagles come in and take their quarterback. D-Mac, you brought up the Trent Williams situation. Like, uh, we don't know what the value is going to be in terms of what they're going to be able to get back. That situation is just drawn on for so long. I can't imagine they're going to be able to get max value back, uh, even though he is such a good player. He did miss this past season. Let's say they end up, we'll say, somewhere in the top 50. To me, like, I, I agree with you, C-Mac. You look at those positions. You look at tight end. I look at offensive guard as well. You know, they lose Eric Flowers in free agency. He was a starter for them. Wes Martin, a last-year draft pick from Indiana, is he going to step in? You also have Brandon Scherf, who's on the franchise tag. He's going into a contract year. Chase Roulier at center going into a contract year. So it's going to be very interesting to see what they decide to do along the offensive line. But they don't have a lot of draft ammo because, remember, with that trade-up last year to go and get Montez Sweat, they gave up this year's second-round pick. So they're in the need for picks. I'm interested to see what they can get back for Trent Williams, if they can get back in. To me, if they get back into somewhere in that late round one, early round two range, like, you know, is someone like a Xavier McKinney going to make sense? Is someone like a Damon Arnett, uh, the corner from Ohio State, like, does he make sense? Certainly a, a lot of guys, a lot of ways they can kind of go there. But we'll, we'll, it'll be very interesting to watch. And again, small sample size of what we've got to work with there from Kyle Smith and Ron Rivera, uh, obviously together as a pairing. So, Hey, Fran, real quick, two guys that I just think fit the mold of what the Redskins have gone after lately with that interior offensive line. Yeah. They love experience, whether it's Wes Martin or Ross Pierce-Bacher. Yep. I could just see them taking like a Ben Bredesen at a University of Michigan or a Shane Lemieux out of Oregon yep. who have each played like 3,000 snaps in their college career. Guys that are kind of scheme versatile. There's a lot of different run schemes that the Redskins like to use, especially Ron Rivera coming from Carolina and the variety of run schemes they've run over there. Uh, so it's kind of interesting, but those two guys, I just think, fit that mid-round mold, especially if they need uh, interior offensive line help. Well, that's why with Scott Turner as the offensive coordinator, you brought up a great name with Bryce Love. I'm, I'm interested to see how they're able to utilize Bryce Love. I wonder if they do some similar things with him uh, that they did with Christian McCaffrey. Chris Thompson is a free agent right now. Bryce Love, an interesting name uh, on the come there in his second year. I feel like he kind of went off the radar a little bit. Obviously, injury played going into his NFL yeah. career, but a really talented, experienced player at Stanford. No question. All right, let's get to a, let's get to a big one here. Let's go to the New York Giants. They've got the uh, the fourth overall pick. Dave Gettleman's been there for the last three seasons. He's got plenty of experience as a general manager going back to the Carolina Panthers. So, I did I did a deep dive here on Dave Gettleman, and you know this is a guy that's uh, you know been a GM since 2013. He has never ever traded down at any point in the draft. Like that is one of the wildest stats of any team or any general manager, any decision maker uh, that I've come across. Uh, that, that to me is really, really interesting. They certainly draft for need early on days one and two. They'll go best player available when they get to day three. 
one thing that definitely stood out to me, age definitely matters. 30% of Dave Gettleman's picks have been 21 years old. And again, we're talking a pretty big sample size here. So this isn't like a two or three year sample. Uh, we're talking about seven, eight years here as a general manager. 30% of his picks have been 21 years old. Even though they trend towards seniors, he likes experience. He likes high character guys, guys that have been leaders, stuff like that. They're young seniors. He goes with guys that are 22. They typically don't draft older players. So that's something to keep an eye out for. They stay away from red flags. Guys with medicals, they don't really take any medical red flags. Only one off-field guy that I saw that they'd taken out of college. So all of his top picks were deemed as tough, competitive guys, physical guys, high character, all that stuff. So they definitely trend that way. They definitely trend towards guys with size. You know, whether it's in the trenches, O-line, D-line, we know about, you know, the hog mollies and how he he values the run game and things like that. But even skill position players like cornerback, he likes length, he likes height. He wants guys that have that size out in the perimeter. And all three years he's been at New York, his top two picks have been in for top 30 visits. So they're not afraid to kind of tip their hand. Now, that gets a little bit murky this year because of uh, you know the, the limited time the teams had to bring guys in for visits, but certainly not a team that's afraid to kind of tip their hand in terms of their interest. That being said, C-Mac, what do you see uh, in terms of needs for this New York Giants football team? Again, this is a team that typically drafts for need throughout the course of the early parts of the draft. It's funny you mentioned the hog mollies because my number one need is offensive tackle. Now, Nate Solder hasn't quite worked out the big lucrative signing at left tackle, but he's going to be locked in for 2020. However, Mike Remmers is a free agent. He's gone. Last year, starting right tackle. Right now, you have former Cowboys swing tackle Cameron Fleming taking that spot. So that right tackle spot is a key to watch. Something I noted here, the last time the Giants used a draft pick above the seventh round on an offensive tackle was Eric Flowers in 2015 and we all know how that one worked out for them so another second year quarterback you know that's you need to protect Daniel Jones Danny Dimes there they got to protect him there in New York second need it's going to be interesting with the transition to the Patriots style defense but I still put edge rusher as the number two need last year's sack leader Marcus Golden is on the freight and market he's unsigned now they do have a couple of former third round picks you know Shane Simenez from last year Lorenzo Carter the year before, they're on the come, so they're going to need to fill in you know, that void there. Kyler Fackrell from the Packers, he was signed in for agency. But if you want a sure thing there, they don't quite have that at the moment. And, again, going back to offensive line, the center spot. Last year's starter, John Jalapio, is a free agent recovering from the Achilles injury. The guard spots, they're very, very set there with Kevin Zeitler and Will Hernandez, but the center spot, a big question mark. And uh, the fourth need I put here, with safety, you're, you have the starters in Jabril Peppers and Julian Love, but Antoine Bethea and Michael Thomas, who played a lot of key snaps for this team last season, they're on the free agent market. There's just not much experience after Peppers and Love. So top four, offensive tackle, edge rusher, center, and safety. So, you, know, you, made a, you made a good point there about you know the Giants, and, and I think when you look at the offensive linemen and the guys they've drafted high, I think it's worth noting that – Dave Gettleman has never drafted a first-round offensive lineman. You know, going back to his days in Carolina, uh, you know, the, the guys that he's drafted, you know, even though he loves those, those linemen, we, we hear all about, you know, you go back to the, the day two, that's where he typically drafts those guys. You know, Will Hernandez in the second round, Taylor Moten out of Western Michigan second round, Trey Turner second round out of LSU. So I think when you look at those guys, that seems to be the area where he typically tries to find those guys. Everybody's penciling in offensive tackle, whether it's Tristan Wirfs or Makai Becton or – or Will, Jadrick Wills, could they go a different direction? Uh, ben, uh, how are you kind of seeing players that, you know, with the, what we've given you now, who are some of the players you feel like could be in their crosshairs? You know, I feel like that position in the draft is at such a crossroads because there's so many different directions they can go. I feel like the draft really starts at their pick because they can address so many needs. I want them to get that quarterback of the defense moving forward, but then they go get Blake Martinez in free agency, and they still have Jabril Peppers that they traded for and gave up Odell for. So uh, they obviously see him at some future value. Dealing with all the trends of Gettleman is really interesting. The no offensive lineman in round one is so interesting because he's bolstered the trenches quite a bit, but has done that in round two, like you said, with Trey Turner and some of those guys. So, you know, I would love to see an Isaiah Simmons there, but I think you need to protect Daniel Jones. You need to get playmakers around Daniel Jones. So, I think the first two priorities are a tackle 
and an alpha receiver for Daniel Jones there to go with Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram. But if you don't bolster the offensive line and protect him, I don't think Daniel Jones is going to be upright for you. You know where he's going to be. He's kind of a uh, pocket passing quarterback with a little bit of mobility and a little bit of toughness. He's going to hold on to the ball. You need some offensive linemen that are willing to protect for him and hang on just a little bit. So, you know, maybe a Jedrick Wills there or an Andrew Thomas from Georgia could be that left tackle for you for the next 10 years. That's what's interesting to me is I, I, just looking at the offensive tackles, all those guys kind of check the boxes in terms of what we're talking about there with Dave Gettleman. They're all young. They're all, they've all are going to be 21 year old rookies. They all have good size. They're all bigger guys that can certainly kind of fit that model uh, in terms of what we're looking for there uh, with what Dave Gettleman likes. You know, you, Andrew Thomas, Mekhi Becton, Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Wills, all those guys, all of those guys kind of fit what we're talking about here with Dave Gettleman. But then when I look at Isaiah Simmons, guys, one thing that also kind of stood out to me, looking at just the guys that he's taken early in drafts, right? It seems like he likes versatility, right? Guys that can do a lot of different things. Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley. The one guy that stands out, though, he took a player like a Isaiah Simmons before. He took Shaq Thompson in the first round back in 2015. I was just looking him up this morning, too, Fran. Yeah. Yeah, and that was a little bit earlier than people thought. We people thought, well, you know, Shaq Thompson was a linebacker safety hybrid coming out of Washington. Oh, maybe he's an early second round pick. They took him in the top twenty, and that raised a lot of eyebrows. He's shown the propensity to make that pick in the past. I wonder if he if he decides, you know what, let's go with Shaq Thompson again. Kasimak, you brought up the new defensive scheme there. They like guys that can be versatile, that can be multiple, it can be used in all different ways, and that kind of defensive scheme coming from the Patriots. Isaiah Simmons certainly. I think Isaiah Simmons, that's an interesting fit there. I, to me, I, I would not just say, okay, it's definitely going to be an offensive tackle. That's their biggest need. That wouldn't shock me at all if they went with Isaiah Simmons. Well, Fran, as much as I want to add an exciting playmaker around Daniel Jones, what are the three truths from Dave Gettleman? Stop the run, run the ball, rush the passer. So as no much question. as I get excited about those fringe players and the exciting playmakers, I feel like you need the building blocks and the brick-by-brick brick mentality that if you don't have the offensive line or the defensive line, the coverage won't hold up, your quarterback won't hold up, you won't be able to push the ball down the field, won't be able to run the ball. I feel like when in doubt, bolster the trenches. And I think that's kind of Gettleman's MO that I think Giants fans are going to be a little bit upset to not take a C.D. Lamb or a Jerry Judy there at that pick. But there's going to be a lot of positional value at receiver, tight end, running back on day two that early in the draft, we've seen Gettleman before, you go after the trenches when in doubt. I do wonder if he'll break that trend about trading down this year, too. They, they broke one trend last fall. Guys, remember, the Jets and the Giants had never made a trade before in the history, in either franchise's history. Those two teams had never made a trade. They obviously made that trade last year for Leonard Williams. I wonder if, if they buck another trend this spring and, and trade down. Because, as I mentioned, with all those tackles there that kind of fit the bill, if they're happy with any of them, I wonder if, hey, we trade down a few spots. Uh, maybe we still get a Tristan Wirfs or we still get a Makai Becton at you know, eight or nine and a team can move up and try and get a quarterback. That would be something certainly to keep an eye on. Those conversations are so much fun to say, hey, you know what? Should we go get a Isaiah Simmons at four? Or can we get Austin Jackson and T. Higgins later in the first round and address multiple needs? And those types of conversations are going on in draft rooms as we speak. Yeah, well, you know, Carolina. If Carolina said they definitely wanted to move up for a quarterback, Marty Herney and Dave Gettleman, they work together in Carolina. They certainly have plenty of relationships there across the scope in terms of that building. That would be one, an interesting one to kind of keep an eye on here. Guys, let's let's look now to the Dallas Cowboys and Stephen Jones. Now, Stephen Jones has gotten promoted to that role as the, you know, the VP of player personnel. He's been in that role for 10 years. So Decent sample size for me to kind of dig into some of the data here. Another team that drafts for need on day one, they'll go best player available later in the draft. You know, starting on day two, they'll kind of go BPA. But early on, they draft for need more often than not. One big thing, one big tell for this team, guys, one-third, a third of their picks – have come in for top 30 visits. Very, very, you know, they're very, they're very open with who they've got interest in before the draft. Only two of their first rounders since DeMarcus Ware came out of Troy were not in for visits. One of them was Mo Claiborne, and the other was Ware. Mo Claiborne, they traded up for, if you guys remember, back in 2012. You know, they traded up high into the first round, into the top five to take him. So very, very interesting there in terms of the guys they bring in for top 30s. As I mentioned with New York, with the, the lack of visits this year, we'll see if that trend uh, gets broken. But 
So another team where age matters, eight of their nine first-rounders under Stephen Jones have been 22 or younger. Uh, they have not taken a 24-year-old rookie since 2015. So we're talking four full drafts since they've taken an older player uh, out of the college ranks. So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, on days one to three, got or one through two rather, they are not afraid of players with either character concerns or medical concerns. So you look at you know Ezekiel Elliott, Randy Gregory, so much was made about those guys pre-draft. And then Jalen Smith, obviously, from a medical standpoint, Leighton Vander Esch uh, from a medical standpoint, not afraid of, of red flags. That's certainly something to keep an eye on there with Dallas. And then they definitely trend towards bigger schools as well. Only seven of their 80 picks under Stephen Jones have come from the FCS level or lower. 70% of their picks have come from the Power Five. So they definitely trend towards bigger schools overall. With that being said, another team that drafts for need, C-Mac, uh, wrap us up here with the NFCs. What are the big needs that you kind of feel uh, see with this Dallas Cowboys operation? Wow, Fran, that's tremendous insight, first and foremost. Really, really good job digging into the notes on uh, what these teams have done in the past. So I'm going to look at edge rusher once again to start off here with the Cowboys because they've got Demarcus Lawrence and they lost Robert Quinn. They've lost Kerry Hyder. Michael Bennett's a free agent. You have a third-year player in Dorrance Armstrong, but he's no short thing. Tyron Crawford, who can play end tackle, is a potential cap casualty coming off hip surgery. So edge rusher for me is number one there. Number two, the stunning retirement of Travis Frederick makes this a gaping hole on what is otherwise a very, very good offensive line. So center I'm putting at number two because there's no clear-cut answer there. Third, wide receiver. Yes, they got Amari Cooper back, okay? They have Michael Gallup back, another good outside receiver, but who is your slot? There's no Randall Cobb. There's no Tavon Austin at this point. It's Cedric Wilson, a former six-round pick in 2018, who's who's uh, pegged to be in a slot right now. So depth overall after those first two is the number three need for me. And then fourth, linebacker. Yes, Sean Lee is back for another year, but I think he's on the downside of his career. There's legitimate questions about Leighton Vander Esch. You mentioned him with the neck injury. Jalen Smith, can they rely on him to remain 100% healthy for a whole other season? It's just from a depth perspective, it seems like they're one injury away. And they've got such good play out of the linebacker group that they're one injury away from being in big trouble. So, Ben, before I turn it to you, just to go down, edge rusher, center, slot receiver, slash depth overall at the position, and linebacker are the four I have for the Dallas Cowboys. Well, you know, Fran, you always say, you should go into the draft ready to play a game. Yep. And I feel like a couple of weeks ago, the Cowboys, you had no idea where they're going with their draft. They had a lot of holes, but they addressed that in free agency. Getting Don Terry Poe, Gerald McCoy, HaHa Clinton Dix, all those positions that were pegged to the Cowboys up and down in mock drafts, safety, interior, defensive line. Now they address that in free agency. They can play a game tomorrow if they need to. And that's what it's all about in free agency. They can go into that mid-round pick willing to go wherever their board falls, whether that's a Xavier McKinney of the future at the safety position or finding that exciting receiver to pair with Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott, or maybe having that exciting, explosive interior defensive tackle like Javon Kinlaw maybe fall to the mid-teens there to pair with Gerald McCoy and Demarcus Lawrence there. So I think their ability to address all those holes in free agency really makes it flexible on draft day. And I'm glad they didn't break the bank at receiver in free agency because we all know this is a deep draft. Next year's a deep draft as well. So I could see the Cowboys maybe doing what the Packers did two years ago and literally taking three receivers, three running backs, and loading up some skill players for Dak Prescott. Yeah, to me, I, I think you look at some of these young guys that are you know in this draft and who are the players that kind of fit that bill. We've seen C.J. Henderson mock to them. That would not shock me at all if he were to last to that point. I really feel C.J. Henderson is going to go higher than that. Caleb on Chasen from LSU certainly fits that bill. Another 21-year-old kid, uh, if they're not scared of the medical issue, which they're not with Terrell Lewis, he certainly makes sense. You know, one thing, and I mentioned, guys, that they they trend towards the bigger schools, right? And C-Mac, I'm so glad that you brought up the names that you did because who are some of the names you brought up? You brought up Leighton Vander Esch. Yep. You brought up Tyrone Crawford. You brought up Cedric Wilson. One small school that they seen, you, Kellen Moore, they all – Boise State, yeah. They've trended a lot of Boise State guys. Is one thing that stood out. I wonder if a Curtis Weaver from, uh, from Boise State fits a need, right? He's on the younger side. He was very, very productive. I wonder if uh, Curtis Weaver is a guy that ends up down in Dallas as well. 
no, it's, it's going to be an interesting team to follow. Again, it's going to be a little bit tougher this year than normal because of the lack of visits. Before, you can kind of point and say, all right, one of these guys is going to be their first-round pick. We're not going to get, get that uh, opportunity this year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see exactly which direction they tend to go. Well, guys, that was a really fun part of this conversation. Last week, we debuted like our position superlatives, and we're going to quickly do the same thing here. We're going to go into the trenches this week. Offensive line, CMAC, most natural pass protector in this draft in the first round. Who is your pick? I went with Jedrick Wills of Alabama. I think Tristan Wirfs is the most most athletic, but Wills was very, very good in the positional workout in Indianapolis. Great feet, patient in his setup. He doesn't overset, good with his hands. So while Jedrick Wills is not the most athletic, I'll give mm. that to Tristan Wirfs. Certainly have to tip of the cap there. I thought the most natural pass protector, Jedrick Wills out of Alabama. Ben, who do you got for day two? The day two players for these are always interesting because I have to make sure it's a day two player and not a round one player. I really want to go with Josh Jones here at the University of Houston, but I think he's going to be a round one player. So I'm going to go with Lucas Niang at a Texas Christian, who is a really solid right tackle. And when we talk about quiet feet and effortless movements, this guy does not look like he breaks sweats. And I would challenge everybody to put on their opener 2018 against Ohio State where he saw Nick Bosa, he saw Chase Young and had no problem handling either of them on that right side. Even did some left side as well and some tackle oversets uh, if you want to see him potentially in a left tackle position. He's done that as well. But he had a little bit of injuries this year, wasn't always on the field. But when he was, just a very, very effortless pass protector, especially against speed rushes. Looks like he could run that arc against the uh, elite speed rushers in the NFL on Sundays. Someone's going to get a good player when they take uh, Lucas Niang on day two, without question. And I think he would have been in the discussion for sure in the first round had it not been for that hip injury. So we'll see him in, in round two for sure. My guy for day three, guys, uh, Alex Taylor, South Carolina State. You know, you look at a guy, basketball background, 36-inch long arms, light feet, athletic. The tools are there, and that's why I kind of frame this, who is the most natural pass protector? He is not a finished product, but Alex Taylor – Certainly a very, very intriguing moldable ball of clay for a future offensive line coach. Very interesting player to kind of follow here. I think he's got a lot of upside. Certainly something to work for, work with with that frame. All right, guys, next one. Most powerful run blocker. Who are you got, C-Mac, for round one? Round one, I have Andrew Thomas, a Ooh. bulldog in every sense of the word. There's a big reason why DeAndre Swift, and whether it was not Swift, Brian Herrien had huge holes to run through down there in Georgia. So I had trouble coming up with a guy here, Fran. There's a couple people I want to pick. You stole my guard that I thought was going to be a day two player, but I'll, I'll let you have him on day three here. That's okay. <laughs> I wanted to go with the first team All-American guard, Kevin Dotson, the number one combine snub. But we're going to stay in the SEC and Solomon Kinlan. That left guard working with Andrew Thomas at the University of Georgia is an absolute bulldog people mover. He is every bit of 335 pounds. Reminds me a lot of Vernon Carey, of the old uh, Miami Dolphins about mm. 10, 15 years ago. This is an absolute massive people mover, a guy that gets vertical displacement on double teams, will walk defensive tackles right into the lap of linebackers, and it's really easy to see him pave the way for all those guys that C-Mac just mentioned, the Sony Michels, the Nick Chubbs of the world, the uh, Holyfields. So a lot of exciting uh, run game there in Georgia, working with Andrew Thomas. Well, you mentioned the guy, I, the guy that I want to go through for day three. I think he'll be probably an early day three selection, maybe middle part of day three, is Damian Lewis, the guard from LSU. Ben, when we have Jeff Stoutland on, you know, in the studio to break down film, what does he always talk about? Smashing stacks, right? Double teams in the, in the run game at the point of attack. When Damian Lewis smashed stacks, he moves earth. Like he, he has really, really powerful lower body, has the ability to move people, not just in double teams, but also on his own one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, to me, it's the most powerful player uh, you'll get on day three of the draft along the offensive line. All right. And real quick, friend, let's just talk about these guys, Damian Lewis, Solomon Kinley, Kevin Dotson. Are they scheme-specific guys? These are guys that great, get great vertical displacement, get good movement. Do you trust them in zone schemes? It's very rare now that we see teams that are purely zone or purely gap scheme. Everybody runs a little bit of everything. But I think ultimately it comes down to what teams are looking for in terms of their profile, their offensive line. Because, you know, I look at, you know, Baltimore. Baltimore always has big offensive linemen, right? But you see plenty of zone schemes from that team. So I, I think it ultimately comes down to the team and what they want in their profile, their O-line, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's always interesting, too, and how those guards are used, not only in the run game, but in the pass game, to see who are they leaking out on the perimeter? Who do they get in space on screens? Because, obviously, colleges are going to try to get their most athletic guys in space. So if you see at LSU, it's mostly Shadiq Charles and the right tackle out in space instead of Damian Lewis. You know, maybe Lewis isn't a guy for those athletic screen teams. Uh, Maybe more of a gap scheme power running attack. Great one. All right, well, guys, next one. Best technician along the O-line. C-Mac, we'll start with you on day one. I had a hard time going with the tackles in terms of more of a refined product, so I want to give some love to the interior guys. And I'm thinking of a guy you can plug in on day one. That's Cesar Ruiz of Michigan, athletic sound. Loved his positional workout at the combine, yep. show the athleticism. But I think just overall, he's a guy that every year I feel like we're going to see an interior lineman go there middle, late first round for a team looking for a plug and play guy. And I think Ruiz can be the guy for a team this year. All right. So Fran, I got two names again. I think one's going to leak into the first round. That's Austin Jackson, who I think has some of the best hands in the entire tackle class, great independent hand usage. I would challenge everybody to watch his bowl game against Iowa, where you see him go against AJ Epinesa. Great battle there, but I'm going to go with Calvin Throckmorton out of Oregon. And my comp for him is Isaac Sayomalu, coach's son, absolute technician, played up and down the line at Oregon from left tackle, right tackle, center, right guard, 47 career starts, 1,000 snaps, I think, without a penalty. We saw him at O-line masterminds over the summer. You don't get any of those credentials without being an absolute technician in any offensive lineman. I don't know where he gets drafted whether it's third round, fourth round, could be sixth round, way things go. But I promise you every offensive line coach wants a Calvin Throckmorton or an Isaac Sayamalo who's played up and down the line for us in the Philadelphia Eagles, sometimes in a pinch. His rookie year, we all thought he was going to be the center of the future, played everywhere but center, played some snaps at left tackle for Jason Peters, right tackle for Lane Johnson, swing tackle at tight end, fullback. I think that's Throckmorton, and you have to be an absolute technician to play up and down the line like that. And you got to have the mental acuity as well to be able to handle uh, all those different responsibilities. And a guy that I would put in that same vein, Ben, is a guy that I think a lot of O-line coaches uh, around the league would love to have, and a guy who's a son of an NFL offensive line coach, Charlie Heck from North Carolina. Uh, I think he's got swing tackle ability to play left or right tackle, technically sound, good, good use of his hands. I mean, you can just tell the guy the guy's – it's cliche to say this about guys who are coaches' sons, but you could tell that he's the son of a coach just the way he plays. Uh, Charlie Heck, really impressive player, rock solid across the board. We saw him uh, in person down at the East-West Shrine Bowl uh, as well. So Charlie Heck, my pick for best technician on day three. Last one for the O-line, best finisher, C-Mac, day one. So I went with Mekhi Becton. Uh, mammoth at 6'7", 364 pounds, and he relishes and plays like he's the biggest man on the field. Just nasty. I put that as nastiest player, so I'll go with best finisher here for Mekhi Becton of Louisville. You know, I was really thinking about Becton there, uh, C-Mac, and I was wondering, I don't know if Becton's a finisher. He's kind of a starter because a lot <laughs> of times he's the one initiating that contact, and then all of a sudden that defender's on his back. Uh, that's a, obviously an easy pick right there. I love that. I'm going to go with Ben Barch out of St. John's. This guy was not afraid to get defenders on their back, go down and finish them with some pancakes as well. Really fun player at St. John's that I don't think uh, is getting enough love in this deep tackle class. Yeah, I think uh, certainly a, a very, very interesting player to watch, and he could certainly sneak his way into late day two. I think Logan Stenberg from Kentucky, a four-year starter in the SEC at left guard, hasn't played any other position, so you worry about the versatility a little bit, but this is a big, strong, powerful mauler at the point of attack. Does great things in the run game. He's stout in pass protection as well. Uh, Logan Stenberg plays like uh, plays like somebody insulted family members of his every time he steps <laughs> on the field. So I would say Logan Stenberg, my best finisher there for day three. Let's quickly go through the D-line, guys. And I, I went through edge guys and D-tackles. All right. First category, best physical tools. That means from a height, weight, speed, body type, who's got the best physical tools on the defensive line in this class. We'll start with day one and C-Mac. Chase Young, Ohio State, freak show size, athleticism, production. There's a reason why Chase Young was in the Heisman Trophy discussion this year and why he's likely going to be the number two overall pick or very, very, very high selection in this draft class. Yeah, this player I've been talking about all season, Fran, because he's, when he's on the field, he does everything right. 6'5", 258. 83 and a half inch wingspan, productive player in the run and the pass. And that's Terrell Lewis at University of Alabama, who I think has that unique combination of having a loose 
lower half that's flexible, can turn the corner, and just a powerful upper half that can set the edge, that can shock you with those heavy hands, can work in some long arms, has all sorts of pass rush moves with double swipes and spin moves, can line up in three-tech, does some A-gap mugging as well in sub-packages. I just think he's the prototypical edge rusher for NFL uh, defenses. Yeah, one guy that I'm going to go with for day three, a player that you would have been hard-pressed to not find a mock draft back in the summer that did not have Julian Aquara in round one. Uh, I never was quite there with him, but I think that you had really interesting tools for day two. Look, with a, an up-and-down senior year, he had some medical concerns. Uh, you know, I think he'll probably be a day three pick, but this guy's got a quick first step. He's got flexibility uh, in his lower half. He's got long arms. He's got a good-looking frame. Julian Aquara, my guy I went with for best physical tools on day three on the defensive line. Best pure run defender. C-Mac, we'll go with you for day one. I went with Derek Brown out of Auburn. Uh, there may be questions about his pass rush ability. That's why one of the great debates at the top of this year's draft is do you take a guy who's so good against a run, but may have questions in terms of his ability to get to the quarterback. But there are no questions about his ability to stop the run, and that's why he'll still come off the board in the top half of this first round. By default, Fran, if I'm going to pick a really uh, good run defender here, you can't be a speed rusher on the edge because a lot of times you're going to get yourself caught trying to run around tackles. Sure. So a guy that's absolutely not a speed rusher is Michigan State edge rusher Kenny Willekes who has no problem battling you and dancing with you at the point of attack and shedding you when that ball carrier comes. It's no accident. He had 49 tackles for loss in his college career. I compare him to guys like Rob Ninkovich, Kyle Vandenbosch, Jared Allen, those types of brute strong guys that aren't looking to run around anybody. And in order to do that, you have to play your gap, play at the point of attack and be a strong player. And I think Willikas has shown that he's not the sexiest player, so I don't think he's getting a lot of love. He has no problem going back to his high school to train rather than these D1s and Exos and all these kind of high-value ones. So I love the grittiness, and I promise you some defensive line coach is really going to like his play style. So mine for day three, I went with uh, Lecky Fotu, the nose tackle from Utah. You just heard on the tape any Utah defensive game, and you see the, you know him holding up the point of attack. Uh, I mentioned on this podcast before, I've spoken with a lot of the Utah defenders that are in this year's draft, and I asked all of them. Who's one guy from your team that you would bring with you to the NFL? To a man, they all mentioned Fotu at the top of the list. So talk about his ability, not just to stop the run, but also impact the pass game as well. I think Lecky Fotu, certainly a name to keep an eye on uh, moving forward into this draft. I think he'll probably he'll be a mid-round pick. That could be round three, but I think he'd probably, you know, round four, round five, uh, you'll see Lecky Fotu come off the board. But with his traits, it wouldn't shock me if he went even a little bit earlier than that. All right, most polished pass rusher. So from a pure technique standpoint, mindset, pass rush plan standpoint. C-Mac, day one, who stood out to you? I went A.J. Epinesa of Iowa. Yep. You know, not a great timing and testing workout. Good positional workout, but obviously not a great athletic timing and testing workout in Indianapolis. But he knows how to get to the quarterback. Great hand usage, understands angles. That's why he's still going to be a first-round selection, even though he's not going to be one of those guys who flies off the edge in the NFL. Yeah, that's a great pick, C-Mac. And I feel like we've come so far removed from that 2018 season, Fran, where A.J. Epinesa really didn't play much for Iowa. He was just a pass rusher off the bench. And he was pretty good yep. when, he, when he showed up and uh, was on the field. But that was what he did. He was a pass rushing technician to a T. That's a really good pick there, C-Mac. I'm going to go with LSU pass rusher Clavion Chasen. And even though he only had six and a half sacks and really didn't have the production, watch him on a down-to-down basis. And he has a variety of pass rush moves and tricks from obviously turning the edge with speed rushes, but the double hand swipes, the chops, the spin moves, the counter rushes can also play the run so he doesn't have to come off the field. He's been working this past week with one of our footwork uh, gurus out there in California. So check out his uh, Twitter account to watch these kind of quick footwork drills. Really impressive to see. But he's a guy that's an instant pass rusher off the bench. And if he can't play in early downs in the NFL, at the very, very least, he'll come in on sub packages for you and get quarterbacks. So for me, for day three, I went with a guy that I, I've always liked, and going back to the summer, is Kendall Coleman, uh, the defensive end from Syracuse. You know, there's been a lot of talk about Alton Robinson, his teammate on the other side, but you know, Kendall Coleman 
such a savvy pass rusher. He's really good with his hands. He's got a couple of really good moves in his bag to beat offensive linemen with. Uh, I talked with him out in the combine and, you know, just a really impressive kid. I look at Kendall Coleman as having a really good idea of what he's doing. He doesn't have great physical tools. You know, you worry a little bit about that first step. He's on the smaller end, but uh, this is a guy I think is going to make it in the NFL as a backup and the ability to come off the bench kind of as a change-up pass rusher for a team. Kendall Coleman, my guy, for most polished pass rusher on the third day. Last category, guys, most versatile defensive lineman, day one, C-Mac. I went with Marlon Davidson of Auburn, and he probably would be a late first round if he's going to be a first-round selection at all, but he can play inside, play the edge. You know, he showed up at the combine 6'3", 303 pounds, probably could shed a little weight to play more on the edge there, but the hustle and motor for a man of his size, I felt was something that was worth spotlighting here, but he has that versatility to play up and down the line. So uh, Marlon Davidson out of Auburn is my most versatile top tier defensive lineman. That's a good pick there. C-Mac. I have no idea what to do with Davidson. He played all over the line at Auburn. It could be an edge rusher, a three tech, who knows? I wanted to go with these exciting hybrid players with Josh Uchis, the Zach Bonds, but just because you're not one position doesn't make you a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none. So I'd rather go with these edge rushers like uh, Yatur Gross Matos or Bradley Anai that can play the edge for you and have no problem sliding into three-tech and some sub-packages as well. I think they're strong enough to hold up against the run on the inside, and I think you're going to try to get them in space against some guards, just like some schemes in the NFL use like the Philadelphia Eagles and sliding Brandon Graham inside or Derek Barnett inside to try to get some uh, matchups against bigger offensive linemen. I think there's a lot of guys in this draft that can play on the edge and have no problem sliding in at three-tech as well. I think every defensive line really wants to get faster, more explosive with those defensive tackles. Well, we talked about Marlon Davidson. We talked about Derek Brown. I'll bring in another Auburn defensive lineman for our our final pick here. Nick Coe lined up all over the place for Auburn's defense, Uh, whether he was an outside edge rusher, whether he was a three technique, a five technique. He lined up up and down the line of scrimmage. I think he's got that ability at the next level as well. Uh, Some things you got to work through with him. And obviously, look, he didn't play a ton this year, but uh, this is a guy that whenever he was on the field for Auburn, going back to his freshman and sophomore seasons, was very, very disruptive, a very versatile skill set. So Nick Coe, my pick for most versatile guy on day three. All right, guys, let's kind of round out uh, this segment here. We're going to go big board breakdown, mock draft roundup. Big board breakdown, we're going to Josh Norris, his top 50, uh, our friend from Roto World and NBC Sports. C-Mac, big takeaway here from Josh Norris's most recent top 50. Whew, there, there are a lot on this one. I'm actually trying to go through all my notes here to try to figure out which one was the one that I liked the, the most. But um, C.J. Henderson, you know, the cornerback out of Florida, I think he's going to go top half of the first round was outstanding at the combine from an athleticism and the positional workout standpoint. But even though he's still cornerback three for, for Josh Norris, he's the 31st best player thought was very, very low, especially since he's been gaining steam throughout the pre-draft process. So uh, Jeff Okuda was CB one Christian Fulton LSU is CB two has Henderson as CB three, but, Thought a little low there as the 31st best player in the draft. All right, Fred, I have two major takeaways. Number one is the edge rusher group, seeing Yatur Gross Matos as his edge two. But Daryl Taylor has his edge number four, squeezing into his top 50 at the University of Tennessee. And every year, good players on bad teams will be misscouted every year. And I think Daryl Taylor, Nigel Warrior at University of Tennessee are really good players that were stuck on bad teams there. But most importantly, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, running back number one over Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift. I think that's starting to build up a little bit more steam, especially with Edwards-Hilaire's ability to run between the tackles, get out of trouble, and obviously his third down value catching the football. Running back one, I think, is starting to build up some steam on a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who a lot of people didn't even know heading into the football season. One of the things I'm most proud of throughout this draft cycle is that I was able to get you to turn around on Darrell Taylor. I'm just, I'm so proud of myself uh, that I was able to get you to fully buy in. And that's fair because I did that game against BYU. I watched a lot of his tape in 2018. I thought I saw Landis Durham, who also was a double-digit sack guy at Texas A&M and then didn't do anything his senior year. But Daryl Taylor, that BYU game, had a bunch of good plays off the edge, slid into three-tech, beat up the guard a little bit, an explosive player off the edge. And when you watch this season collectively, who actually University of Tennessee ended up on a six-game win streak, 
one of the more productive teams heading into the end of the season there. When you just watched him, he's a guy that terrorized tackles with his first step, the high side rushes, and that always has a value in the NFL. My big takeaway, guys, uh, Denzel Mims at 12, one spot ahead of Henry Ruggs. Very high for Denzel Mims, um, you know, player we talked about a little bit over the last couple of weeks. He's really grown on me. You know, Darrell Taylor's grown on you, Ben. Denzel Mims has really grown on me throughout the course of the process. You're talking about a guy with size, outstanding body control, great ball skills, made some outstanding catches along the sideline. A little bit of a limited route tree and some things you're going to ask him to do. But, you know, I think that there's some similarities there with like a DK Metcalf last year in terms of, you know, his usage and what would he could do best and, uh, you know, what he could do outside the numbers. He's not as naturally as explosive, uh, but this is a guy that could certainly run as a track guy in high school. Denzel Mims, though, 12, very, very high. One spot ahead of Henry Ruggs, my biggest takeaway from that big board. All right, uh, mock draft roundup, guys. Let's go. Todd McShay from ESPN, most recent mock draft dropped this week. He's got the Eagles taking Patrick Queen, the linebacker from LSU. I'll give my thoughts on Queen, and I want to get from you guys. To me, superb athlete, great sideline-to-sideline player. He's got excellent range. I love his short area burst. I love his play recognition skills as well. Did not become a full-time starter until – I want to say very early this season, not even week one, but it was like week three, week four before he really became uh, an every down player. But I think you look at his ability to make plays from sideline to sideline. This guy is really, really impressive. He's just really small. That size uh, could scare some people away. But uh, Patrick Queen at 21. Guys, what do you think here? I think it's great seeing him in the first round because a lot of people didn't know about him playing behind Devin White last year. But if you turn on Journey of the Draft in the summer, he was our SEC defensive sleeper. We would have been all over it. Nice to see him comfortably slotted in there to 21 at the Philadelphia Eagles. I think we've used a little bit more LSU presence on this roster. We have Jalen Mills. We have Duke Riley, national champions. But seeing the next five picks, that's where the contentious issue kind of goes with the fan base because it's going to pick over receiver Justin Jefferson. Do we pick? Patrick Queen over Oklahoma linebacker Kenneth Murray. That's obviously a big debate right now with those two linebackers. So a couple of those picks after the Eagles are really interesting to see who the Eagles could have had there at 21. The one thing I want to touch on here is I'm sure that Eagles fans have heard this, that the last time that the Eagles selected an off-ball linebacker in the first round was Jerry Robinson, 1979. But the interesting note about him is that it was also with the 21st overall selection. Just wanted to add it in there. Oh, look at that. With Patrick Queen. Very nice. That's very, very, very interesting. I, I Look, Queen, is to me, is a, a player that's worthwhile in terms of late, late round one, but there are some players that stole the board in this scenario that are very, very intriguing as well. Let's quickly look at the five that went before the Eagles pick, though. Atlanta at 16, taking Javon Kinlaw. Dallas taking C.J. Henderson. We mentioned that pairing earlier. Xavier McKinney uh, at 18 to the Miami Dolphins. Antoine Winfield Jr. going off the board at 19 to the Las Vegas Raiders. And then Brandon Ayuk going at 20 to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Big takeaways for me, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. I love the McKinney fit in Miami. I think he perfectly fits that style of defense with Brian Flores and everything that he'd be asked to do. He'd be used in a lot of the same ways that he was used, honestly, with Nick Saban. They just had a Xavier McKinney and Minka Fitzpatrick, but obviously allowed them to bolster and add a couple more picks there. Remember in GoldenEye and N64 when you choose your, your board and you get that manila envelope that kind of tell you your assignment? If we took Patrick Queen, he gets a manila envelope. And all it is is a picture of Zeke Elliott, Saquon Barkley, and Darius Geis. That's your assignment for the next 10 years in the NFC East. Very good point. C-Mac, what were your uh, takeaways here from the five that went before? The big thing is it seems like the Raiders, that Vegas is the wild card because every mock draft we go to, it seems to be an off-the-radar first-round selection. It was A.J. Terrell, the cornerback, last week out of Clemson. This week, it's a safety windfield. So definitely seems like that John Gruden and Mike Mayock have teams guessing in terms of which direction they're going to go in the first round. That's pretty high for Winfield there, Fran. It's very, very high, but they took Cleveland Farrell in the top five last year, and that was a shock to everybody. So I think that's why everybody's kind of saying, all right, they, they could be a wild card team here uh, moving into this draft. The five after the Eagles, really quick, guys. Uh, Minnesota at 22, taking Justin Jefferson. New England taking A.J. Epinesa. The Saints taking Kenneth Murray. Minnesota at 25 again, taking Trayvon Diggs. And the Dolphins taking Josh Jones. Guys, I love the Trayvon Diggs fit with Minnesota. I mentioned it last week on the show, but uh, I was talking with uh, a friend of the show, Dane Brugler, uh, a couple days afterwards, and I mentioned how I love Trayvon Diggs to Minnesota, and he's like, 
would they draft him if they just traded his brother? And then like, I was like, uh, yeah, that's actually a really good point. I guess that probably wouldn't fit. <laughs> yeah, really good stuff there uh, from uh, from Todd McShay, obviously from Josh Norris as well. Uh, great stuff from you guys. Let's get to the next segment here. It's time now for Pick 6. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, guys, so I mentioned at the top of the show, pick six this week, six players who would be a surprise fit somewhere in round one, but who ultimately makes a lot of sense. The reason why I went this way, we got a lot of traction in Denver and in San Francisco this past week when we talked about Henry Ruggs being the target for the 49ers at 13 instead of a Javon Kinlaw or a Derek Brown. So now I'm sorry, who else fits that mold? It's a surprise from a media standpoint, but when you really look at it, makes a lot of sense for any team in a given spot. C-Mac, I want to start with you. My second option here is going to be way off the rails, and it's going to trigger a lot of fans. So I'll save that one for last. My first one here, everyone thinks that with DeAndre Hopkins going to Arizona, that Arizona is out of the wide receiver game at number eight. But I think C.D. Lamb here could be the pick. First, you get he and Kyler Murray to reconnect from their Oklahoma days. Then you look at the most popular formation that – the Cardinals used with Cliff Kingsbury last year was a four receiver set. So you got Larry Fitzgerald most likely going into his last season, even though he's the ageless one, but most likely at some point the run is going to end for him. If you're going to run out four receivers right now, they self Christian Kirk, you're going to have DeAndre Hopkins. Who would you rather have that fourth receiver be? CD lamb or Andy Isabella, who was last year's second round pick, but hasn't quite worked out his plan. So I still think, that C.D. Lamb to the Cardinals at number eight is very much in play, even though a lot of people are now thinking it's going to be off offensive line or some other position because Hopkins is in the fold. You know, Fran, I think at this point last year, we would have thought the darling of the gadget world is LaVishka Chenault at the University of Colorado, but two injury-plagued seasons, and suddenly he looks like he's going to be a slider on draft day, potentially late into day two with the receiver group. I'm hearing more and more buzz in late round one. Obviously, we want those Debo Samuel type of players like Jalen Rieger. Do not sleep on Antonio Gibson at the University of Memphis to a team maybe like the Packers or the Patriots or even the San Francisco 49ers for that matter. A guy at the University of Memphis ran 4.39, has good size at six foot, 225, also led the country in yards after catch per reception. A guy that's great in catch and run, a great in quick game, great in RPOs, can run the ball out of the backfield. I'm hearing more and more buzz. He checked all the boxes at the combine, running that impressive 4-3-9 at that size. And I think everybody wanted LaVishka Chenault to be that next star, that next gizmo gadget player like Tyreek Hill or Debo. But I'm hearing more and more about Jalen Rieger and do not sleep on Antonio Gibson. Oh, I, I love that. That's a, a really good point there with Antonio Gibson. C-Mac, I love the C.D. Lamb pick as well. Remember Arizona, Steve Kime, a team typically, typically that goes best player available. So, you know, Larry Fitzgerald up there in years, C.D. Lamb uh, would make some sense. I'm going to go Isaiah Simmons to the Cleveland Browns at 10 overall. You know, if you list the team, obviously everyone's penciling in offensive tackle. To me, you look at Andrew Berry and say, all right, Hey, he's a, he's a former DB. He sees the value in a guy who's very versatile. Joe Woods, new defensive coordinator, he needs a, t- a, a player, you know, kind of fits that skill set. They've had a lot of safeties that have left the, that roster there over this offseason. There's the team that, you know, we'll see if they decide to go need or best player available. But Isaiah Simmons to Cleveland, I think is an interesting fit. C-Mac, what's the one that you feel uh, will go off the rails here? Where's your second pick? I had a lot of fun with this one. How about Jordan Love to the Dallas Cowboys Ooh, at 17? You know, you don't have the long-term deal in place with Dak Prescott. Could the Cowboys get to a point? And, of course, a deal could be brokered at any point here, but maybe the Cowboys have said, we've offered the highest that we're going to go. And they know that once Patrick Mahomes gets paid, that's going to set the market that much more a flutter. So the Cowboys are probably trying to get the deal done now. Dak might be saying, I've got all the leverage at this point. And we don't know, what does Mike McCarthy, the new head coach, think about Dak Prescott? Could he maybe say, I get to bring in my own guy You know, the Cowboys could, you know, over the next couple of years, you know, benefit from another rookie contract at quarterback and maybe go with the last year of Dak Prescott and then have a couple of years where you have Jordan Love on just the rookie deal instead of having to pay Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott and Amari Cooper that second contract money. So definitely doesn't seem like it's going to go this way. But what about Jordan Love to the Dallas Cowboys at number 17? Yeah, Fran, as much as I'm seeing Isaiah Simmons, all this buzz, obviously in the top five, 
and certain teams need that versatile player. We were just talking about the Miami Dolphins replacing Minka Fitzpatrick. Don't be surprised if we see Jeremy Chin at the University of Southern Illinois sneak into the first round, whether it's to a Dolphins there at 26 who could use that versatile player on the back end, or even to the Oakland Raiders. They obviously have Jonathan Abram at uh, Mississippi State. They addressed the linebacker position in free agency with Kiwakowski and Corey Littleton. But everybody wants that hybrid player that can match up against tight ends, that can be a blitzer for you, and really more athleticism in the box there in Oakland, I think is what they want. So there's a couple teams there on the back half of round one that are starting to get interested in, and I think he's becoming almost a lock to be a day one player. You know, a lot of times, guys, when you see these situations where there's a surprise in the first round with a player and a fit, you know, with a team, a lot of it has to do with a player that's entering a contract year, right? So there's a player that's already on the team that you're not thinking about, oh, it's not like they just lost a player and they have a hole in the depth chart, but hey, this player X is going into a contract year. They need to fill this hole next year. How about Xavier McKinney? Safety out of Alabama to the Bucks. Justin Evans entering a contract year. Todd Bowles, maybe he's looking for his Jamal Adams. And I think Xavier McKinney, great blitzer off the edge, close to the line of scrimmage, could be used in that way. Uh, they've been bolstering that secondary down there in Tampa. Obviously, look, they added Tom Brady. They're, they're, they're all in to win now. But I think in that sub-package defense, they'd find ways to use uh, Xavier McKinney. That's an interesting one. So that was the fit there as I was trying to find uh, something interesting there in the middle of round one. All right, guys, let's wrap this show up. It's time now for Draft Mailback. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, so the best way to, to help out this show, obviously, look, you're already subscribed, but if you get a chance, go on to wherever you listen, wherever you are already subscribed, go on, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. You guys have done a great job of leaving us a really steady flow of comments and questions and mock drafts, and we're going to cover a couple of them here. Die Hard Faithful left a five-star review. I love this one, guys. said, I've listened to every show year-round for almost two years. I'm not a fan of the Eagles, but you don't need to be. Of the 20 football and draft-specific pods I listen to or have listened to, these guys' football knowledge reign supreme. By far the most insightful, well-researched group of experts you'll find. Really appreciate that. But if they only could talk more about my 49ers, thanks, guys, Fra <laughs> Frank and Napa. So I wanted to – 20, 20 draft podcast, Fran? Was this pre or post quarantine? Well, football and draft specific. <laughs> and he said, I have listened to. So he stopped listening to some. We've kept we've kept. That's them. commitment right there. That's commitment. I like that diehard faithful. But we now I feel like we got to dedicate a little bit of time here to the 49ers, guys. Absolutely. And this is the team that they've got – look, it's a low draft capital year for them. They made, they've made some trades over the last couple of years, but – they made a trade uh, at the beginning of this this league year, trading up to number 13 with the trade of DeForest Buckner. So the first round gets a little bit more interesting for them. I think they stay put there at 13, and I wouldn't rule out one of those defensive tackles, but I mentioned last week and I mentioned in the last segment, Henry Ruggs I think makes a lot of sense for that team, for that roster, the way they kind of build things, the guy, kind of players they look for. And then it wouldn't shock me. I know Daniel Jeremiah just said the same thing on Path of the Draft yesterday. Guys, I, I really feel that they, they're going to trade out a 31 and try and just acquire a little bit more draft capital. DJ mentioned uh, the, the possibility that a team looking to trade up into round one to take a quarterback, whether that's Jacob Beeson or whether that's uh, you know even a Jalen Hurts, uh, would trade up into that spot. But I feel like the, the 49ers really going to be looking to trade out of 31 and acquire a little bit, a few more picks here because I think they only have four choices right now going into draft weekend. They have such an intriguing roster here, Fran. But looking at the Super Bowl, the Chiefs, the 49ers, they have some good pieces on defense, but these are offenses that are ready to outscore you in track meets. And I think Kyle Shanahan is always going to take that cheese on offense and that carrot dangling in front of him and try to add to the offense and surround Jimmy G with more and more weapons, whether that's a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of the backfield or some of these receivers to mix with an already really unique uh, receiver room with Marquise Goodwin, Jalen Hurd out of Baylor. Don't forget about him. Dante yep. Pettis, Richie James, Trent Taylor. Oh, yeah, Debo Samuel. Forgot about him, George Kittle. So I think these teams are kind of looking at that formula like the Super Bowl and just saying, hey, we're going to put up 30, 40 points, try to outscore us. You know, if I'm looking at the Niners here, first round at, at 13 pick, uh, I wonder if you fortify the offensive line. Joe Staley's getting up there in age. Maybe you're looking for a long-term replacement. Does a Andrew Thomas or a mover like Mekhi Becton make it there to 13? Uh, but I also wonder, even though you brought up a good point about how they're going to look to outscore teams and, and follow the Chiefs model, if they stop one big pass play, the Niners are the world champions. And you wonder maybe, and you may even wonder if a CJ Henderson, I know, you know just yep. makes too much sense there. 
No question. Actually, C-Mac, you, sw- you swung me on that because I yeah. completely forgot last year they played half the season with Justin School and Daniel Brunskill at tackle for them. This is a Super Bowl team that literally survived with a six-round pick and an undrafted tackle off the street to, to protect Jimmy G coming off a major injury. I, they, I think they really need to bolster that tackle position, figure out who the Joe Staley of the future is. And while I love Justin School out of Vanderbilt, Daniel Brunskill, they held it down. They played outstanding. I think that was a buyer beware kind of situation that we cannot go into another season with a depleted offensive line room. What if Jordan Love fell to them? Uh, I guess he's coming for Nick Mullins' job. Yeah. I don't know. I think they're in a win now situation. They're, 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 they're right there on the precipice. They, you know, they've got the defensive line is, is still on the comm. They've got the, the playmakers on offense. There were the rumors about the Tom Bray interest, but it turned out that those were unfounded. So I feel like that they're too much now in a position where they could say, we can add another piece, whether it's offense or defense, uh, to help Jimmy G. To, that should be able to get them over the top. Because quite, quite honestly, they should have won the Super Bowl just a couple yeah. of months ago. Did you guys see the video where uh, Lynch, John Lynch, was showcasing, you know, he was showing his office and talking about the importance of staying home, staying healthy. And he had the Kentucky tape on his uh, screen showing the, the work that he was doing. And I was thinking of you, Ben, because I know you're a big Lynn Bowden fan. So you're talking about adding playmakers later on in the draft. That's who came to mind. Who I was trying to think of who we might be uh, scouting there. Yeah, Lynn Bowden's an exciting player at Kentucky. Obviously, everybody's comping to Randall Cobb, that similar type of quarterback, receiver, running back, hybrid player in the backfield there at Kentucky. Logan Stenberg, left guard. Was he the Mr. Nasty friend? He he was. Most disliked or the best finisher or something in the SEC uh, survey? I think he was. That one would make some sense, too. All right, let's get to the next one, guys. Great stuff. That was a really nice uh, comment there from Frank and Napa. All right, Joe YYY left a five-star review. Last one we're going to get to, guys. Great podcast. Keep up the great work. Recently did a mock draft on fanspeak.com using the Bleacher Report Big Board. Here's the mock. First round pick, 21 overall, Jerry Judy. I said, I doubt he's there, but if he is, you know, or if he's not, I would have happily taken Justin Jefferson. Second round, Neville Gallimore out of Oklahoma. Third round, he double dips, another defensive tackle, and Justin Matabike from Texas A&M. A couple fourth round picks here, Troy Dye, the linebacker from Oregon. Uh, your guy, Antonio Gibson, the running back receiver hybrid there, Ben. And then UCLA corner, Darnay Holmes. Fifth round, safety Kayvon Wallace, man after man, my own heart. Nice. Uh, sixth round, Willie Gay Jr., the explosive sideline to sideline linebacker from Mississippi State. And then John Runyon Jr., a man after C-Mac's heart there uh, with the last pick, 200th overall selection. Guys, this is a great haul. Big take Although Howie, Howie would have to walk around the building in a ski mask because this is highway robbery. <laughs> if you're getting Kayvon Wallace in the fifth round, Darnay Holmes, who was just over at NFL Films a couple of weeks ago, Greg Cosell watching tape, Antonio Gibson. Love that style of player in the Eagles offense. That's exactly what I think you need in this type of draft. And there's a lot of those gadget players available. Obviously, there's two exciting defensive tackles, Devil Gallimore, Matabuke, guys that can get after the passer next to Fletcher Cox there. This would be a great, great haul. Troy Dye, a guy I've compared to uh, Nate Gary in the past, and more of a uh, coverage-based linebacker that can turn and run for you. This is a great haul of linebackers. Willie Gay in the sixth round, that's great value there for a linebacker that ran 4-4. I'll tell you what, the middle of the field is going to be completely locked down when you're talking about, uh, you know, when you're talking about Avante Maddox and Nikel Roby Coleman and you talk about Will Parks. And now you add Kayvon Wallace and you add Darnay Holmes to that group. Very, very interesting in the middle of the field. John Runyon, that's just an Eagles pick right there. Let's get John Runyon Jr. in the building here. His dad's over at NFL Films down the street. That's just an Eagles pick all day long. Yep, no question. Well, guys. Great stuff, as always, here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Everybody stay safe at home. We'll talk to you next week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA.